So, welcome to the No Shame Podcast. Um, you're very welcome this week where we have some good Irish UFC news or Irish MMA news. Um, huge congratulations to Reese McKee signing a contract with the UFC. A very young man, so I think uh, Reese is 23 years of age, 20, 23, 22, probably even younger actually. Um, and he has signed with the UFC. He fights on Fight Island um, in seven days' notice. The amount of messages I've got off people um, that uh, that train with me and other people just from around the country saying that someday that phone call is going to be me. And it can be. But that decision starts now. So I do be saying to people, get out, get training. Don't, um, don't sit around waiting because when the opportunity comes, you need to be prepared for it. As um as uh, Reese has kind of um been a perfect example of there, so uh, congratulations to Reese. We've had Reese on the podcast. Um, if you want to listen to Reese's um old podcast, it's there in the library. Um, congratulations to to Rodney, your, your coach Rodney Moore as well. Um, second person that he has got across the line to the UFC. Um, is alongside Norman Park. Um, good to see that that door is opening again. So hopefully that kind of um opens the way for for. Um, and um, a guy from the island on on a on a UFC card here that we can all get behind and and then and the youth and then the younger generation can get in behind that door as well because there's a there's a few other people right there on the step as well so um absolutely massive congratulations to to, to Reese and his coach and his whole team his family and everybody around them all from everybody here at the No Shame Podcast um. Saying that as well, so today we have um, a, a stalwart of the sport, so uh, the third man in the octagon, if you must, I have Mark Goddard on today, so uh, uh, this conversation, I, I go into at the start of it as well, as I um, started a conversation with uh, Mark, um, having something to eat in the tree arena, um, I was presenting uh, Bama at the time, and he was obviously doing uh, ref at the time, or um, official, anyway, I don't know if he was refing, but I minute mean, I started talking to the man, I just knew. This this guy's like me. I I could talk to this guy all day and <laughs> and from the 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 conversations that I've had with him in the in the, in the past as well as it's always been a, a been a, an educational uh, conversation. You know, what I mean, he's always he's always he's always had a different view on something that maybe I've had a view on, and um and then maybe it kind of it gives you that chance to be able to kind of look at it from a different point of view. And anyway, um, little story before I go into Mark real quick. So, uh. Yesterday, me and my two boys um, and the dog went up to Colony Hill. Now, I haven't been up Colony Hill since I was a kid. Uh, what a spot. What a, absolutely amazing. So beautiful. What, we are so lucky. Like, standing at the top of the hill, it just makes me realise how lucky we really are. With so much with so much going on and, and so much, like, kind of... Um, so much under bubbling anger um in in, in you know, on social media and 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 I, as I, said, I don't really see it in life as I said last week as well to be honest I don't really see it I look around and I see all of this greatness all this these beautiful things happening at the moment people going out with their kids and their family and and finding them things in nature as well as um that's what I see on the outside but um, I do see this this little this under bubbling kind of like negativity that just always seems to be there in social media. To be honest, and and it drags it, it's dragging good people into it. It's um, it's making bad people worse. It's 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 making some bad people even uh, fed up. Or I'd say we're there even skipping it. But and anyway, on the way home, we were driving home, and this old woman walked up to a traffic light. So she had a Zimmer frame, and she was she was old, old. So um, I have to say, fair play to her. Still out, she had a mask on, um. But two other people walked up beside her. So two younger people um, walked up beside her. And 
they 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 seem they seem hip they seem I don't know like um I don't know what you call it these days stylish or, or in or hip hop what, what do you call it? they were they were hip or whatever um they were probably about in in their twenties so younger than this uh, obviously than this woman this woman was was an old and I said to me son. Do you, do you think that they're going to, do you reckon that they're going to help this old woman across the road? So as we're sitting in traffic and the traffic lights is getting ready to go green, um, we're kind of watching this situation happening and, and the two younger people that walked up um, didn't didn't recognise the old woman at all, to be honest, so they didn't kind of acknowledge her, they didn't like, I know that I would I think when I, I get the situation, if I'm walking in with a lift or I'm in a, get, get on a, I was going to say getting on a bus or something like that. It's been a while since getting on a bus. But you, you know what I mean. Getting off a plane back in the time when, when that was just normal. Um, you would give that acknowledgement. But there was just zero acknowledgement. No acknowledgement at all. And my son Tiernan was beside me. And we were about watching it. And then when the, the light went uh, green to walk. Um, the bow, um, younger people just took off. They just walked across the road. They didn't stop and, and, and kind of, I don't know, try to help the woman. Or, or ask her if she was okay. or um, And it just made me think. It's like... Uh, uh, do we not do that anymore? Is that um, I just don't know in a, a situation there used to be an old man called Wayne down the road from us and, and every time we'd see him when he's shopping coming up the road we'd be playing football and stuff like that we'd we'd stop the ball um, even if it was uh, <laughs> in a a controversial situation where someone was just about to score you'd stop the ball and we'd run down and we'd grab Wayne's bags and we'd bring them up the road um, now that, that, that man is dead now and um, Lord rest his soul because uh, he was a great lad he was a really good man and it was a very fond memory I have of being able of doing that as a kid because there was always that, that feeling of accomplishment and I just know I think when I was a kid it was it was, it was was normal to go and help somebody that was older than you or, or it was your I don't know even your your obligation your responsibility to make sure that um, that, that them people were okay you know so I just found a, a hard situation and then this morning I was bringing my mother to the doctors and um, I, I can still see that kind of fear bubbling around um, obviously it's it, there, there's the, the, the COVID-19 is still around us and, and people need to still stay stay calm but um, I, I really do feel that the fear level needs to be kind of um, I'll say dropped a little but it needs to be held back a little bit in a way because um, I was dropping my mother to the doctors this morning um, and I could just see I could feel the fear and I could feel that the it was like she was going towards I don't know uh, a fight or a battle or something you know she have I got this have I got that what do what would I do when I go in can you come in with me can can you not I, I could feel this fear and I just had to tell her take a few breaths just take a few breaths man put your mask on um you're gonna be all right you know and and I just wanna wanna put my hand up for I think for some of the older generation or some of the people that just are just not getting the memos on when the stuff is changing um. I think that that's crucial because it's creating the panic. It's creating more of people that feel like they have the answer. I know what I'm doing now, and then all of a sudden it changes, and and that person is not aware that it changes. Um, it kind of upset me a little bit as well this, this morning, my mother, because my mother is my mother's probably the, the strongest woman I know, an absolute warrior, a stalwart in in this uh, in in this life. You know, um, someone that I would I would back through anything, and I think like all of our mothers is. Um, uh, especially, I don't know whether it's uh, just is it a son relationship as well, or maybe daughters have the relationship as well. But I know the relationship I have with my mother is a uh, is an incredibly deep one, and I think I think I think that son relationship is what is it? Yeah, your mother will always defend you, and your son can never do anything wrong. But uh, yeah, it was just a situation that I wanted to. Do we still do? Have, have we still got that common courtesy, that that concern in us? Um, 
for when it comes to the elderly and when it comes to these things. Um, like always, if you if you feel like commenting or you feel like sending us a question or even answering some of these questions that I do be putting out there, because that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get some answers for these questions like anybody else. Um, and anyway, so I'm going to go into this because... Um, this is definitely somebody that we've been trying to talk to for for a while now, and I have not got the chance to be able to sit down and do it in a time where he has time as well, which is now. And um, we didn't want to get him on during the lockdown because, um, probably the only time that he had ever gotten had gotten his life in a long, long time. So uh, we're going to get Mark got out on now. You look sun kissed. <laughs> <laughs> might be might be the light. We've started. Uh, I've started recording there just so um just so you know and all. Yep. Um. Delhi. So there's a bit of sun in Ireland as well at the moment. Uh, we're actually, everyone's out like this, stuck. They've <laughs> 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 been stuck indoors so far. Um, so just before I get started there, gotta go all the way back to the start, Mark, because I think we this conversation even started between me and you in um, in a cafeteria in, in at Bellator in the Tree Arena, I think it was. I started having a conversation with you, and I remember just being. Like, I can have a conversation with this man for a few hours now. It, yeah, in, when was that in Dublin? I think it was obviously it was a million, one of the million events that you do as you're, as you're going through life. Whatever, um, oh. yeah, I remember having a few words with you, and I, I probably thought I felt that I would have, I would have been similar to you as well. You know, like I've always kind of looked in that direction of, I don't know, you kind of notice people that you, I don't know, you've. Yeah, kind of similar to you. I like you. You know, you must. And I, I, I got that with you straight away. I did. Um, it's kind of weird because you were a ref as well, so it's kind of like school teacher situation. <laughs> you're slightly nervous, slightly not nervous when when you see them in person. You know, it's usually seeing them in uh, in a cage. So um, that was things anyway, mate. Things are good, mate. Really good. Um, just good to be. Um, good to be back. You know, um, obviously, you've, I'm, I'm sure you've been watching the events and keeping up with things out here in Fight Island. It's been um, it's an unbelievable setup, and um, it's I'm just happy to be back, mate. Honestly, it's it's incredible out here. It's it's mad at, um, how how life actually takes you away when you have a job and and you're you're occupied and stuff like that, and then everything just stops, isn't it, Mark? I would be used to being. Like I'm out of, out of their house early and I'm back in late most days, you know. But I love it like that. But when the life just stops, it's it's a it's a crazy situation, wasn't it? Well, that's that's exactly what happened because, you know, as you know and, and the people know, obviously for for so many years, I'm just I live out of a suitcase, you know, and it's like country to country, and it's kind of weird because obviously you know I'm at home, I'm a family man too, you know, first and foremost, but I'm kind of I it's like a role reversal. I do I'm at home in the week and kind of do my work at the weekends, and and that's how it's been for for so long for so many years. And then <clears throat> obviously this year, um, I came back from New Zealand um, end of February, and it was just starting to get the rumblings of what was going on. But obviously, you know, I didn't fully appreciate. Nobody really understood. You know, people hearing about COVID and. Mm -hmm. coronavirus and then obviously it's snoke to say that it accelerated f fast as an understatement i came home in february next thing you know the taps are turned off and um four months later you know just just over four months later i managed to get back out it, it was weird but 
you know, everything for a reason, mate. And it is, I, I got some, a lot of downtime, obviously, with the family and working on the house and stuff like that. And we're back again, so it's all good. <laughs> Probably got to a certain stage, the wife is throwing you out, was she? Get out the back and paint that fence, will you? <laughs> 100%. Man. I think she was more glad of me going back to work than I was. <laughs> I've heard that from loads of people, to be honest, because uh, I think I think that was a true test of um, of, of the, the strength of relationships all over the world as well. So uh, those that are probably not supposed to be together are not together now. Those that are shall be for the rest of life. <laughs> if you can, yeah, that's, that's true, mate. If you can withstand this, you know, you're literally living... On a lot in lockdown, you're literally living in each other's pockets, and um, yeah, tensions get high, but that's the way it is. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah, you're used to high tensions, and anyway, I'm pretty sure if it, <laughs> if it comes out around you, you're probably the best man to be in the situation, Mark. So, you're sitting, you're sitting on, a, on, a, on a private island now, Mark, um, and uh, a world renowned, um, respected referee in the world. Um, Basically, you're sitting at uh, Kimiate or uh, what was it? First, uh, Blood, Bloodsport. Basically, um, remember back in the day that the film Bloodsport. Um, I'm sure yeah. you've seen that as a kid. Um, 100. I think that was only a dream at that time, where they, they only the special athletes go and they're getting flown to the secret location and all that. And now, now you're sitting there, mate, and uh, like sometimes you have to pinch yourself sometimes and be like, "This is this is my life. This is what's going on." Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, it's. I've had some weird and wonderful, I've got some wicked stories to tell. One day I'll, I'll write a book, you know, I mean, like a book of memoirs, because over the years, I've, uh, let's just say I've had some interesting things to deal with over the years. Um, and But it's been, a, it's been a blessed life, you know, and I wouldn't change it for the world. And this is obviously, this is like a chapter all on its own. The fact that we're sat here, you know, under these circumstances, um, it, it is, it's bizarre, like the, the infrastructure and what they've done, you know, like the UFC obviously is a huge part of it. All the staff there, hats off to them, but but the, their backers here, you know, the government and, and their partners here in Abu Dhabi to create this, like I said, people say Fight Island and stuff. It's it's the Yaz Island. And obviously, have you been out here, buddy? No, never. I've been, I've been in Jordan. A man is probably the first the I've went. Thanks to Kate. Okay. Uh, he was out there. Great experience. Yeah, not a million. But obviously, I'm fortunate. I've travelled this region loads for years, you know, with various promotions. Um, and, and the first time the UFC came out here, um, I've been every show they've done out here, I've been out here with them. Um, and this Yaz Island, obviously, the people understand whether they understand or not. It's obviously, it's like, a, it's reclaimed land. So it was like a bit, if you remember the palms in Dubai, how it was reclaimed, it was, it yeah. was man-made. Yazan was the same. You know, this is what, where they housed the Formula One racetrack and all kinds of leisure facilities, hotels, etc. This is where they've, this is where they've had the fights. Ferrari World's another famous landmark here. Um, and we were out here. Last time I was here was just in September. Obviously last year I had the Khabib and Poirier fight. And what they've done on, on a section of the Yaz Island, they've actually, come, the, the, like I said, I think there's over, there's over two and a half thousand people within this, what they call the safe zone. So all the staff of the hotels, well, well, what's actually open for us to be operational. So like the, and like I said, I've been here for 10 days. I've had five tests already. 
you know, it's a continual process. The work that the work and the the organization that's going in here, mate, it's fascinating. But it's gonna stay, you know, this is not what it's not one and done here. Um, yeah. you know, the, 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 the obviously the things are changing on a daily basis and you've probably heard Dana this week talking about this is gonna be, you know, this will be like the Las Vegas for the rest of the world for maybe for the foreseeable future until things get figured out. The UFC are going to be back here on, you know, multiple occasions. I, I think I've been saying to people it's kind of if you had level one to eight built, which was probably what life before this was like, we've been forced to build level nine, where we probably wouldn't have built that level nine. And now when we come back, we slot that level one to eight back in, but now level nine is built. Um, I find that with gyms and all sorts of companies and businesses, Mark, because um, like even gyms have approved now. Hygiene as a coach is probably something yourself and myself has been baiting with a stick into the gym for a long time. But now people are like, they're, they're on board. You know what I mean? Like So the idea of being strict about it and um, correcting other people now, I think. And, and the idea of, say, the island. The island probably never would have come about if, if it wasn't for this situation. Um, the same way, I think, a lot of the screens and um, the, the more educational, as I said, on the idea of cross-contamination through grappling and jiu-jitsu and, and all of this stuff. And I guess to show the care that the UFC actually put into the athletes as well as um, the determination that they have to keep going. We have to say, I admire that because uh, while everything else is shutting down, the UFC were actually doubling down on gearing back up. 100%, mate. And, you know, this is the thing. Obviously, you'll know yourself from being... From, from being a UFC vet and being a fighter, you, you'll obviously understand and appreciate how things work behind the scenes. And obviously, you know, it's exactly the same. You know, those same things are happening, but obviously on a higher plane now because, and this is where the credit's due because people can say what they want about Dana. People can say what they want about the UFC, but the fact that, you know, they could have done what everybody else has done. And when the world shut down, they could have shut down too. But, but you know, they haven't. And you, you, you know yourself, you'll always get your cynics. No, no matter what you do, no matter how you do it, you can go as far and wide as you want to make things happen. People are still going to complain. They'll still think there's an ulterior motive. They'll still, you know, I call them the mood hoovers. You know, if there's a little <laughs> bit of, there's like a little bit of positivity, quick, go and grab it, get it away from them. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's, it's all credit to, you know, honestly, Dane, I've seen a new side of him, and I even I have a new found respect for him for for, for for different reasons. You know, the things that he's been doing be that, that I've got to see behind closed doors as well. The guy's a workaholic, and and it literally doesn't stop. And then the guys in the back room of the UFC, all the office staff, all the commissioners, all the athlete relations, honestly, they deserve a medal for for what they've pulled off here. It's nothing but respect. It is hard to be in that position. You can only imagine what it's like to be in Dana White's position as well. Because um, uh, as a fighter, you can you can be pretty selfish about it. You know, and the idea of like, listen, I'm here for me. I have to do what I have to do. And um, obviously, you have to look after so many different things going on as well, regarding your own staff and 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 then the implications of of how some of the stuff is going to walk in the cage and the, before the cage. But then Dana as well has the whole lot of that on the back of him is as well. And and not only that, him. They, to, mo, I find most people that are in these in positions um, can have a really, really good heart, but they have to show the teeth sometimes more than the heart, you know, because uh, you know yourself when you're in that position. 
Uh, someone's only used to see one chink in your armor, and that is it. And they they will try and infiltrate that chink and and kind of and damage your armor, you know. And it's it, it's a it's a it's a hard position to be in. I would not I would not take Dana White's position for a week, <laughs> especially through this. No, I mean you can see honestly, like I said, I have a newfound, I have a you know a, a newfound or a different perspective, you know, on it because I've got to see a lot of things. And obviously the fact that, you know, um, you know, Dana himself this last week has he's aggressed us personally, you know what I mean? And 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 for that, you know, you just the, the guy is basically twenty-four seven. You know, obviously he's got a lot of people around him because he needs a lot of people around him. He's literally involved in everything, you know, the, like even the smallest minute details that you think ah, oh, he doesn't care about that he doesn't see that he doesn't get to know trust me he does and he will pick and choose what, what he wants to get involved with and and what i can say from from an official's point of view due to due to you know the this past week all of us here have you know a massive like i said it's like a newfound respect not that i didn't respect because look dana's dana and obviously people you know what the fans are like out there. They think like officials. They see us. They think we go out and you're partying and you're with them. I've been with the UFC 13 years. I've I've probably had six, half a dozen interactions with Dana in 13 years. All of them were positive. All of them were great. You know, it's it, obviously there's a there's a divided line between there as the way it should be. You know, he's the promoter. We're the officials. Generally, we'll deal with a, a sanctioning body or a commission. And there's always a dividing line, but he has got, he's got, he's got gone above and beyond this past week, and and I, and I've really seen, you know, the detail to which that guy gets called upon, gets involved into, and and actually takes care of, and and like I said, hats off. So, uh, and he's in a position where he's had to make sure um, a lot of people are not sitting at home now with no jobs as well, which is a, another good thing, like yourself and the, the, the refs and the commission and, 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 and all of the staff there. You know? so it's, this is the thing, and this is what I don't get, you know, about certain sections of, of, of our sports media. They baffle me. The honest to God, they really, really baffle me because it's almost like, you know, like I said, like the mood hoovers. You know, the, the UFC didn't have to take the steps they did. And obviously, like you said, they're putting fights on. Even the fighters themselves, when you see them all, they're so grateful. Honestly, it's so positive out here. And literally, like I said, it's kind of like, you know, I've always said about you can't please everyone. And it's never a truer word in, in, in the MMA world, as you, you know, all know. And obviously doing, you know, it's working putting on fights and put, putting on events to, to ensure that people are out there and being able to earn money and provide. And just, like I said, it's just, it just baffles me sometimes that people will, that they'll do what they can to, to look beyond the positivity and nitpick in. Well, yeah, but you forgot about this, you know, and yeah, well, he's doing it because of that. It's like, get the fuck out of here with that. You know what they say, if you, if you, if you go into a burning building and, and save a kitten, uh, they'll find something wrong with it. You know what I mean, Mark? You'll see someone in the comments saying, no, 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 it should have, should have been did it this way, did it that way. But, yeah, you should, have mind, you should have been minding your own business. <laughs> yeah. Well, we would you should never try and please everyone. You know what I mean? Because if you do, you'll only end up upset. 
Um, say people sitting now, Mark, because right? I get people training that, um, you know yourself, some people want to fight. I think there's about probably about 2% that want to fight in the gym. Um, or, or, I know a lot of people that have fought um, to probably become better coaches. And um, I know you fought yourself. Uh, you've, had, you've had a good few fights yourself, you know, 11 or 12 or yourself. Um, yeah. So go all the way back. How would somebody start? How would somebody start to get to the position that maybe you're in? Because what I try to do on this is that show that there's many careers in MMA, you know, that... Um, like, even when I have guys training and girls training, I do say, like, listen, you, you can be cut men and women and, and coaches and refs and officials. And you see the lawyers starting to open up because some people think, oh, I'm going to have to be a fighter. You don't, but they love the sport. They want to be involved in it. So go back go, go back to where, um, where it all began for you. Now, I know, did, were you raised in Scotland? Am I right in saying that? Or are you connected to Scotland? I was born in Scotland. Yeah. No. Um, I, I was born in Scotland, uh, um, you know, Scottish parents. I was born in Glasgow. So a lot of people like uh, it's like a standing joke within some of the community. They, they like to take the piss. You know what I mean? You know how MMA is. Oh, of course. It's like it's over the years. So many people like my mom has drummed it into me. You know, when, whenever whenever I travel, obviously, you know, particularly in America, they think that you know England is one country and everybody lives in London. And it's like you know, people always <laughs> say to me, "Oh, you English? No." And they kind of look perplexed. I'm a British citizen, yeah. but I never say I'm English because I'm not. Oh, he's Scottish. I was born in Scotland for yeah. Scottish parents. Um, cut a long story short, I moved down to, my mum remarried and I moved down to England as a young boy, went to school and, and lived, you know, the, the, the vast majority of my life up till now, obviously, uh, in England. So, yeah, I'm... I'm I'm Scots so Irish, actually. My, my, my family lineage doesn't go back too far. To, to, to my ancestors and my family, they hail from uh, Waterford in Ireland. So, oh, really? So that, and that's actually a, a, a Viking town. I'm actually reading a book at the moment about a guy named Tom Marr in the 1800s. Tough, tough guy. Really good. Yeah. Tough. Actually, the guy that's responsible for the for the flag for the the tricolour of Ireland. Um, yeah. So, one who came this boy, uh, Waterford. Yeah, amazing. Good. That's a, that's a good place to start from. Waterford and Scotland. Does it work? Waterford and Scotland, like my ancestors came over, and like I said, my birth name, you know, obviously I'm McCleary. That's my that was my birth name. You know, Goddard was was my adopted name for for for, for, my, for my dad, my stepdad, and you know, he is my dad. He's the one that looked after me and, and raised me with my mom, and and he's my dad. But yeah, my birth name is actually it's not Goddard, it's McCleary, and you can't get any more Irish than McCleary, as you know. Well, <laughs> but um. Yeah, I was, but like I said, born in Scotland, lived there for the first, for, for early part of my childhood, and then was uh, was raised in Birmingham, England. And um, yeah, I think going back to the original question you're talking about, like, uh, obviously we know what, 20 years ago when this sport was first starting in the UK, you know, it's, it's like everything, it was it was formative, it was small, and, and we didn't really know what we were doing, you know? Um, and then you look at fast forward to today and you're talking about all these different avenues and angles that pe these kids can go down. You know, look at IMAF. And yeah. that's obviously something that I've been involved in. And I try and explain to people, you know, working all the biggest fights in the world and working with the best fighters. It's magical and I love it, you know, and I wouldn't change it for the world. But being involved with the IMAF and the international, you know, these amateurs, it's one of the best parts of the things that, you know, it, it, it's so fulfilling when you watch these kids, you know, 
without being because they are literal kids. Were you at the youth? I know you was in Rome last year, but did you come to the youth, Paddy? Was you at the? Didn't make it to the youth, one, but I've been at a few events with the cadets, the, the one that you're on about. So I know the rules kind of set up. I can only imagine what it looked like out there. That was so. Spe- I mean, like the Euros last year. You were at the Europeans for the for the for the seniors. Yeah, the European the European Championships, which is phenomenal in its own right. But then the following month after that, then we went to uh, it's what we call the youth. And there's, you're starting with kids as young as 12, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. I think I ran out of the room crying two or three times. I had to get myself together, mate. It was so emotional. And, and it was an absolute highlight for me last year. And, and, and seeing the importance of, you know, these, these young kids. And I tell you, their conduct and everything, it was absolutely incredible. It was so memorable. Uh, sorry, so memorable. Not, notwithstanding the fact of their skill level alone, you know, move away from that because you'll see like every year through the world, like the major tournaments with IMAF, the Europeans and in particular the Worlds. I think the Worlds last year in, in Bahrain in November, we had close on 500 athletes, uh, almost 50 countries represented. You know, Ireland's been there yeah. and, and obviously you guys have put yourselves firmly on the map and, and staked a major claim for a small nation. You've stated yeah. a major claim in, in the development of... I know, for it. I know for it. 100%, <laughs> you got You guys are doing great things, you know. But, yeah, like I said, trying to knit it together. Look, the, there is a good life there now, potentially. We've just started an initiative uh, in, in with the English Federation. We've actually started educational courses, sending these young school leavers into college to actually gain a qualification. Dean Garnett uh, dealing with that. And That's it. And yeah, I've seen, I've been looking up on that. 100%. And then obviously oh, we could... Sorry, mate. Sorry, keep going. Sorry, I'll just go right into the I'm saying Danny yeah. Cork as well is doing the same thing as well. Danny Cork in Northern Ireland. I mean, what a great bloke. He's absolutely pulling up trees. And he's done He's done a phenomenal job up there in, in Belfast. And I'm sure that's going to start spreading down into Southern Ireland as well. You know, in, in relationship, t- so that's something that we've been trying to um, kind of link in with him myself. Well, I, I do a cross borders uh, communications course with him called Fight to Unite. So we yeah. bring groups down here to my gym and, and and we train and do like kind of a day walk. Um, it's it's brilliant, it's brilliant, Mark. It's that uh, that inclusion. I did a course when I was very young about uh, about integration through like um, Protestants, Catholics, and people southern of the border. So we got to go away. We lived and trained together in Canada and stuff like that. So it was called a cross-borders communications course. Yeah. Sensational. Well, this is, it's interesting you say, because obviously I remember when, when you, um, when you, I got a copy of your book and obviously I was reading that and I was saying when we spoke in person and I said, because obviously for me, I was, you know, a young boy growing up in, in, in Glasgow, Scotland. That was also a very, sectarian you know the sectarian divide in glasgow in the 70s and 80s was a very real thing too yes. so a, a lot of what you were talking about in the book resonated with me you know it was it almost identical scots and irish are very similar you know yeah. it's um very similar in their ways very similar in in their beliefs and uh, you know their upbringing too there was a lot in that book i, I could identify with and that's what i found so fascinating but uh, yeah look these youngsters now like you said when when it when a youngster goes into a gym, you know, fighting's not going to be for everybody. You, you know yourself, it's the, it's that top one or two percent that could potentially make it through 
throughout having some form of career and, or, you know, doing something actively with the sport. And, and that's OK. You know, that's fine. It's the fact of getting as many kids as we can. You know, the positive things here of getting the kids off the streets, giving them direction, obviously the discipline and, 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 and the good, healthy things that come with studying in the martial arts. But even if you don't make it as a fighter, there's so many different avenues now. You know, like you said, being a coach or looking in the promotion or being an official or being a cop man or a cop woman. Uh, the sport is starting to come together. And I think that that's what a lot of people kind of lose track of. You know, we, as a sport, a mixed martial arts, what, we're 20, 25, 26 years old. Everybody knows the acronym of the UFC. And of course, people are going to get upset and angry and talk about obviously the origins of Shooter and Pancrase, which is much longer, and Valetudo and Brazil, all of these things. But for want of a better description, you know, the sport as we know it today, we're, we're, we're just scratching the surface. And it's people like yourself and me and all the all the good guys in Ireland, all, all, all the renowned coaches and the ex-fighters. We're the ones laying, well, truly now, at this time, we're laying the foundation and we're trying to do what we can to establish the sport and give a a brighter, healthier future for the youngsters. No, and, and, and speaking of youngsters, um, today is today I was sitting with a cup of tea after the after the Dublin event six years ago. I said I had a thing this morning going, well, that went well. <laughs> so yesterday I was probably I was this this council kid I would have looked at like on the edge of his dreams, panicking. Did not look. I was more afraid that I wasn't going to be able to capture my dreams after doing the walk rather than losing or getting hurt or any of them other things, you know. Um, and then we have somebody like Reese McKee who has just signed for the UFC yesterday. So Reese is obviously somebody you would know, and and I, I'd, I'd, I'd say you would admire Reese as well because he has that um, that he's that he's a humble guy. He's a good guy. Reese is. You just cannot help but like him. So uh, here we go again, Mark. Here we go again with this kind of like. 100% mate and going back obviously the foot you're saying about Reese, lovely kid really nice kid and people forget he's still young but yeah. he's had he's had such a he's had such an established career already yeah. and to see him get you know he's got that break now and all that years of the toil and the sweat and everything that we've been through and you know and you recognize it's so worth it I'm so happy for people like that and you also mentioned there's obviously it's a very uh, almost to the day the anniversary of that first Dublin event, and I try and explain to people you know that event was so pivotal, notwithstanding obviously for you guys yourselves, and and and, and the Irish athletes that fought on that event, but I remember you know that first. There's so many things I remember about that event. One obviously the the most standout thing was was the Irish crowd. It was, <laughs> you, you can't explain it. To, I remember, I remember the execs of the, obviously Dana was there and some of the other execs, Lawrence and other people, Craig Basari, all, all the, all the top table execs in the UFC. Marshall Zelaznik was another one who was still at the company. They were, I used to watch them come out behind the curtain and they were stood there. They, they were in disbelief. <laughs> they had no, they thought there was 90,000 people in that arena <laughs> and, were, and and the guys, the sound engineers are there with the with the decibel level meters, and it's like fucking. There hasn't even been a fight yet. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? they, had, they, they hadn't even started a fight, but that, without a shadow of a doubt, 
you know, I've had crowds all over the world. The Brazilians are also very passionate. But look, it goes without saying, if you've got to single out one crowd and one event, that was absolutely defining. And then obviously for all, it was almost like it was a, a movie script because every single one of you guys came out and won. And then obviously uh, top of the bill was Connor, you know, the, the guy who's come and changed the face of the sport forever. Yeah. And then obviously that iconic speech he gave afterwards, it was, it was incredible. And I, I, one of the, another standout memory for me, and that was obviously on that event, I refereed um, Carl Pendred's fight. Yes. And it was, because obviously he was, he was getting the shit beat out of him. For yeah. the first, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's quite yeah. He's only playing. He's only playing. Yeah. And, and Mike King was almost like thinking, what have I got to do to put this kid away? Yeah, and then obviously I'm I'm there. I'm I'm trying to give him every chance to stay in the fight, and thankfully I did. And then he, when he turned the tide, and then he got on top of the crowd. Even I was like, okay, now. <laughs> honestly, I've got so many good memories about the Dublin crowd and that event, and I think that changed the face of the sport, especially on this side of the world forever. At that moment, Mark, I had become part of the crowd. So I ended up in the crowd for Cottle's fight. So You'd had your fight, yeah. Alcohol all over me. And like I was being floated around like a, like a blow up balloon or something like that. <laughs> but it was like, the Irish are mad when it comes to... Uh, we, don't, we, don't get the, we don't get the show that passion. And there's that like, fiery, like, unbel- like un- uh, withered kind of support for, for your own. You know what I mean? When you're carrying the flag and you're together... Um, the thing about I loved about this sport the greatest is that, um, especially MMA, it has brought us together. So it's brought communities together. Um, so like as Reese has been, um, Reese will be part of um, would be oh, Northern Ireland, and then and then you have Danny Carr, and then you have um, uh, I'm forgetting his name, Rodney Moore. Um, and then you have this side of the border, then you have the other side of Belfast and all. But obviously, like a lot of things, I've never ever seen one situation where it's been it's been. Um, I don't know, say, say sexterian, um, or, or any kind of like like roughness there or anything like that. That's what I've loved about MMA the most. I've never seen that kind of like um, standoffage, you know, especially in Ireland. It has brought us together. So the rugby team in Ireland is, is the whole country. So the whole country's made up of it. Um, what they, when the, the soccer team or the football team is, there's Northern Ireland team and then there's the Republic of Ireland team. So it, it's, it's strange at times, you know what I mean? And sometimes, but MMA, I have to say, was. To, it all going together was was amazing, and even that night, um, Norman Park getting the win, and 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 everybody just being able to be together and uh, and, and celebrate it together. It was really that was a magic, magic moment. I remember that because I actually ref Norman's fight too that night. He fought the, the Japanese lad. Can't remember his name. I'm sure it was a Japanese opponent he had. Hopefully he had as well. Yeah, and, and uh, he stopped him. Yeah. Um, and, and then obviously uh, Carl's fight, Carl Pendra's fight. But that was, yeah, it's like, you know, the people, when you try and explain, obviously, you know, look, I wasn't born in Ireland. I didn't, obviously, I didn't grow up in Ireland. But obviously, being from Glasgow and obviously having that, you know, the, the whole Catholic Protestant thing, growing up in that as a, as a young child in the 70s and 80s, when you live through it, you, you know what it means when yeah. you try and explain it to people, especially on the other side of the pond, they're just not going to get it. But yeah. then when you see the positive things, like you said, you know, when people are fighting, you're representing Ireland. It's Ireland as one. And, uh, you know, you guys have proved that time and time again. 
particularly when it comes to the, the UFC. So there was two of yeah two events the UFC have had, haven't they? Because I remember that I refed you in Ireland. Yeah. Um, oh, when, did you? Yeah, yeah. When oh, you fought, right. yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> hey, listen, if you don't remember me, man, that means I go. That's all. I'm happy. With. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm actually thinking, did Mark actually met Reverend me? And oh yeah, he did. I I, yeah. I was rendered unconscious semi. So I say, um, I was uh, a little bit hazy on that one, Mark. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I remember the fight, and then obviously, you know, the UFC were due to come back um, in August of this year, but obviously, COVID and everything's gone in the way. But you guys are unique. There's certain countries in the world that are unique for, like Poland's another one for for MMA. Japanese, uh, sorry, um, Japanese crowd is one because of their historic value. Obviously, Brazil and their connection with, it's almost like the Mecca, you know, when you go over to Brazil, it's like the Mecca with Valley Tudo, etc. But in Europe, there's, there's two standout countries that are very unique for their people and how they approach things. One is Poland. And, and like I said, at, at the top of you guys, when it comes to crowds, pound for pound crowds, pound for pound crowds, nobody beats the Irish. <laughs> you cannot beat the Irish. Um, I won't hold you too much longer. Um, so I'll give you a few of the, obviously, the, the questions that I had to ask you that everyone would be expecting me to ask you. What has been one of your favourite fights to, to ref? You know, it's weird because for, for so long, for, you know, you know, 16 years as a ref, I, I, I couldn't really answer that. But then last year, there was a fight between Kelvin Gastelum and Israel Adesanya. And if anybody's watched that fight, you know, first and foremost, there's been a lot of standout fights like, um, you know, Aldo Mendes too in Brazil, you know, different crowd, you know, referee Anderson in Brazil, you know, when you've got the gods there. But the fight between Israel Adesanya and Kelvin Gastelum, four or five rounds for the interim belt, it was... It still renders me speechless, mate. It was uh, that's going to go some way. It's going to be hard pushed to be able to beat that. It was it was incredible. That was an incredible fight. Have you ever been in there, Mark, and seen somebody getting a bang and um, say a uh, shot and being like, "How are you still standing after that?" <laughs> Have you been shocked by the, the how hard somebody could be hit and and yeah. still because sometimes I yeah. watch that and I'm like, "Wow." I used to have little fantasies about, uh, you know, I'd love to have one more fight or I didn't finish it, this, that and the other. <laughs> then I get in and I hear the first points and I'm like, fuck that. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing, you idiot? Stay as a ref. Honestly, like, you know, you know, you obviously you know firsthand. I'm, you know, I didn't fight in the UFC, but I had 14 professional fights. I've been there, done that. And to try and explain to people what you guys go through, it's, it's it, you know, you can't do it. It's almost like there was the famous video thing with Charles Sonnen and there was a thing with, um, there was a conversation between Charles Sonnen and Joe Rogan. And uh, there was like a, the, the, the music from uh, the film Inception over the top. It was basically, the video segment was called Indescribable Feeling. And Charles Sonnen was basically trying to say, look, without being condescending, I, I, I can't describe it to you, you know? You know what it's like when you wake up on that day of the fight and, mm-hmm. and all the feelings you've got. And then when you get in there and you first get hit and how different fighters deal with different things. 
it's part of the magic of this sport, mate, and it's incredible. Have you been? Have you ever been nervous going in? Well, I won't say nervous, but um, I, I say there's a sharpness there. Is there a certain kind of sharpness at the ready? Like I know if I'm doing a corner, I've seen you doing corners as well, Mark, and you're a lot calmer as a referee. I heard a corner, man. <laughs> I remember I actually done. I was behind. Um, it was when Connor fought Dave Hill. And I was yeah. sweating on the other side, and I could <laughs> mark on the other side. But that, I think you're, you're emotionally connected there with, with somebody because I think when you're playing a fighter, you, you grow that love with them. Uh, when you're getting in, is that that kind of readiness that there is when you're, say, doing a corner? Um, or what, what does it feel like? Yeah, I mean, obviously, when you're talking about with Dave, that was actually when I retired. That's when I moved away from coaching. That, that was the last one. Because I could, you know, the heights that I was getting to was that you have to have a separation between you. You know, as an official, you can't, you cannot wear two hats. It's impossible, you know, and, and you've got to step away. But uh, as an official, yeah, you know, you, there's a nerves. I don't know. Look, there's a heightened sense of awareness for sure. Because if there wasn't, it was like, you know, when you fight, if you walked in there and you, and you don't feel anything, this, that, and the other you'd think there was something wrong. Yeah. It's, it's the body's way of preparing you mentally. When the adrenaline starts going, the things that you don't need in your body will slow and shut down, di digestive systems, etc. These are natural reactions. And then all the other things, your senses and your perceptions of things will start to heighten. It's kind of the same as a referee. You know, I've, I've, I've always tried to say, again, without being condescending, trying to explain to people, when you're in there, and I find myself, the more chaotic and, and frantic the fight gets and the louder the crowd becomes, the more zoned in I get and the more comfortable I, I become. It, honestly, it's like when you're dealing with a frenzy in there and sometimes it is a frenzy, you know, like I said, classic case in point, uh, you know, having you guys there, the first show in Dublin and you're dealing with hometown favourites and you've got a crowd behind you that sounds 10 times bigger than what they actually are. It takes a special kind of place in your mind to be able to block all that out and, and deal exactly with just what's going on uh, in front of you. Because that's what you guys deserve, you know? And referees are going to be, you're going to be damned if you do, you're going to be damned if you don't. But um, having that heightened sense of awareness and the perception of you know what's going on around you, but you've still got to be so focused it's an addictive feeling, I'll be honest, you know, like with, as, as a referee, it's, it's an addictive feeling, you know, when you stood in, I've stood in stadiums with 60,000 people and you're refereeing, you know, the, the biggest prizes in the sport, that buzz that you get, it's not the same as fighting, but you do get a, that heightened sense of, you know, uh, of being and perception, it's very addictive and, and that's what I crave as well. It's it, it's a nice place to be at times. No, that's that, that's definitely uh, people talk about the best seat in the house. There's no there's no better seat than that seat, is there? And that was that you actually kind of touched one of my questions there that I was going to ask you is um is it hard not to get behind somebody that you really really like? You know, is it? it but it, it's 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 that separate. Like you can get a guy that you really 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 like. And you probably want them to keep going. Like I, I seen people uh, about the Aldo stoppage last week, um, going on and on about like, like I seen people fighting. He got stopped. Well, it's Jose Aldo, but they don't understand. He's a human too, and uh, and, and lions get old as well. And nobody, I know, as a fighter, I don't, wanna, I don't want to watch uh, a veteran of the sport like that, um, going out that way if you must, you know. And then on the other hand, 
you could you could have that point of view where you understand as a ref could be looking at Aldo and and be so admirable of somebody that he's been around so so long is it hard to separate that kind of human and um a passionate and supporters and as well if you have got sixty thousand people behind your mark and and they're all going for him too it that has to be a really hard thing to do to to choose your choice on that on, in, in that split moment and and uh, and be and be sure with it you know because uh, as you said you're gonna have good and bad either way no matter what you know for me i'm i'm i will vehemently say no because it's not an issue because if it was, it would find you out before now. You know, as a, as a, you were talking of the Aldo fight last week, and obviously Leon was was the ref, and he, he was coming under fire and, and being criticised and this, that, and the other. But, you know, people need to understand that, you know, as, as officials, there is no bigger critic of oneself than oneself, if yeah. that makes sense. You know, if, if you've made a mistake or you've or you've zigged when you should have zagged, or you've gone left when you should have gone right. A, a conscientious and competent official, they know first and foremost, and, you know, that they understand, you know. But at the end of the day, in terms of, you know, the personal characteristics needed, and certainly for myself, trying to phrase this like, we're, we're, in, in the truest sense, I could not give a monkey's, I don't care who it is. And that, look, you know me and obviously other guys, they'll know me. That's that's my reputation. And reputation is one thing, character is another. Um, as, as a referee, you, you can't have, uh, to say that it's Mr. Impartial, you're straight down the line. It sounds so, it sounds so obvious and easy to say, but I literally, every fight to me is a blank canvas. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter where it is. And it doesn't matter what's at stake. My job is to stand in the middle of that arena, stand in the middle of that octagon and give the person to my left and the person to my right the fairest shake of the stick. And it's, like I said, people will say and drum up what they like. The people who know me, truly know me, I would ref my own son with the same, with the same integrity and partiality that's got me to where it's got today. This is not just some, you know, pastime hobby for me. This MMA's been my life and now obviously very much is my life. And it's something that I take, you know, the, the greatest of importance of. And my wife so happily reminds me, she thinks I've got two wives, one's <laughs> her and the second is and the second is MMA. I'm I'm married to this sport, mate, and and you know, I'm a human being. I'm I'm not a robot, I'm not perfect but I'll give it all I've got every time you see me. And you know what, Mark? I think that's all that people... Uh, I know for for me, for myself, that's all I ever ask for somebody if they are in positions like that is that they give all they have. And, and, and that zig left and zig right, I think, is a great um, analogy because um, you can do a million good things in this life and then you can zig the wrong way. Uh, and that's the only one that you will ever be judged on. You know, I think it's called... Um, uh, Vampire's Castle, I think it's what it's called uh, these days. So, say there's a there's a system to it in a way. So, but your family looks at it, um, your wife could look at it, your kids could look at it, and stuff like that. And people don't see them things, you know. Uh, that I, happens, buddy. People don't take the the, the exception for our families out there because our families are watching and and they love us and and they do go into them comment sections. Unfortunately, that's what people don't get. You know, it's like obviously you get to a level where 
let, let's just say I've had um, a couple of high-profile altercations, shall we say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the, like the fans of this sport, and I always... I was talking about it today. I was, I was at a lunch with a couple of fellow officials, and if you saw the um, you saw the fight there uh, yesterday between um, uh, Figueredo and Benavides. Yes, yes. And uh, obviously Benavides. I mean, he, he come off <laughs> he, he come off poorly in that fight. God love him. And um, you know, but when you look at him afterwards, and you look at his the way he dealt with that and his acceptance, and obviously. Megan Alevi, who's one of the um, one of the broadcast uh, teams, she's well known within UFC. That's obviously Josie's wife, and then they shared special moments and stuff. And when you see like the the video that came up of them together, and then him breaking down in the press conference, which like people like yourself and me and all the good natured people it touches you, you know. And then you look at that comment section; it makes me ashamed, mate. It makes me ashamed to. You know, even breathe the same air with these people, but you have to push it to the side, and and you, you know, you know in your own head that these people aren't part of our sport. I've, I've always said that, you know, fans, as in true fans, those are the ones that are, they don't have time to be at home on keyboards because they're the ones who have gone out and worked hard and spent their hard-earned money on tickets going to arenas, and and are still for all the negativity and the and the cesspool that social media can be sometimes. I still know in my heart of hearts and, and deep inside that they are still a minority of, of, of people. The vast majority of people, they don't say anything because, and, and, and even if they did say something, it would be something warm and positive. You really have got a, I always use the dog shit analogy, Paddy. <laughs> say, if I'm going, if I'm going to uh, the park with my kids for a picnic, I ain't going to put my blanket next to the dog shit. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on a nice open pasture of green grass, and that's it's it is hard to, for people to get around. But unfortunately, the you know the nasty thing and the acidic part of them. But I, I still believe that the the you no know, the the vast majority of people out there they're positive and they've got good things to say and they're, and they're good supportive people. Hundred percent. I push that out in this podcast every week because it's very easy for us to con uh, concentrate. And most things in society are concentrated on them small 4% or 6%. Of us. Look what they are. It's, it's a minute minority in that way. And uh, uh, I respect people that can step forward and say, you know what? This is, where, this is what I think about it. Uh, you know, but they're not like, that's it. It's done, you know, in a way. So I'd say as a referee, that has to be a hard situation. And obviously, you, you've dealt with, I don't know, guys rubbing shoulders with the presidents of countries and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, um, you, you've dealt with it well, Mark, I have to say. And it's, a, it's, it's not an easy job. It, it's definitely not a job. You're, you, you're the only part in the cage that I would not do. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, but everybody thinks they can, right? <laughs> of course, of course. There's no way. I, I think if someone said, go, I would just put the anxiety in that moment, I'd just fall over to the side. Because I'd be thinking, like, like a knee to the head, or did he touch the ground? Did he it just, I don't know, just, and then you've got two guys looking at you, both with passion in their eyes, convincing you, no, we didn't. It's yeah. Just, oh, yeah, and it's funny. I remember a quick story before I went, uh, Herb Dean was um, refereeing one of my fights, and I got pulled out from under the cage. And I grabbed under the cage like that, and he said, let go of that cage, who will I have? And I said, sorry about that, Herb. I literally looked at him, apologized, let go, and fell to the ground. <laughs> but, um, 
do. You do what you have to do. I would have denied it if he wasn't looking straight at me. <laughs> yeah, look, mate, it's like, like I said, you can dissect it forever. And obviously, what's, you know, you'll see, you'll see this week is obviously the, we had the, the huge pay per view, um, you know, uh, only last week, uh, Masvidal and, and Usman. Yes. And obviously, it's something, you know, some of the officials that have come out here, you know, the British guys, world class guys, guys I trust implicitly. And it's kind of like, you know, as the elder here, like, trying to talk to them and say to them, look, this will be, <clears throat> this might be a unique situation because you're in a crowdless environment, you know, you can hear a pin drop at times. You look outside and you've got Dana White, the president of the organization, sat right there, five feet away from me. I said, treat it exactly the same you know this is just another fight you know and obviously because there is a big lack of live sports in the world the eyes and ears are, are all on us you know because the, there is such a lack of other sports and things going on so the you know that the focus and the attention and, and you know everything that comes with it good and bad is obviously heightened for these fights you you, you will have saw yourself obviously how pleased Dana and the UFC were with with the numbers that the Masvidal and uh, Usman fight managed to pull on pay-per-view. And that's good for the sport, mate. You know, you've got to, like I said, it's there. We've got to turn off the mood hoovers. You've got to move the blanket when you're in that park and just, you've got to focus on the positive, mate, because don't let them drag you down. And uh, there's too many good things out there to focus on. Absolutely, absolutely. Like, like Fiari World and like uh, F1 going around your hotel. And <laughs> so make sure that you go out there and focus on that good stuff as well, Mark, because uh, you probably have a few days now to be able to kind of um, get the head together and, and get ready for the next one, really. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was it was pretty damn intense because we came down, um, you know, it was what, we came to London. We had to go and have a test in London initially. Uh, we had to be quarantined for two days in a hotel in London. And it was pretty strange. People go, oh, yeah, you're in it. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Say you, go, you go in and shut the door. That's oh. it. Because if you come out and they find you, you're not on the plane. So we had a two-day quarantine in London. And I, I was, I'll be honest, on the halfway through the second day, I was fucking climbing the walls. It would have been. Then the phone call came through that, okay, negative test. We're going to pick you up. At, um, they're going to pick us up in an hour and a half. So they contain us in a coach, take us straight to the plane. They put us on the plane, a chartered plane from, from Etihad, from the Abu Dhabi organizers and government here. Obviously, you flew straight to Abu Dhabi, off the plane, into a bus, straight again to containment. Another test here. So it was two 48-hour back-to-back quarantines. Oh. So we come here, then we repeat the test again. I've been here over 10 days and yesterday I had, I think it was test number five that I've had. So I've had five tests within a 10-day period, and I've got another two to come. And obviously in the first week, there was three events in seven days because uh, we had the pay-per-view, the midweek fight, and then the, 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 the early morning fight on the Sunday just gone. And now there's, thankfully, there's a couple of days downtime before we do the final event in this series, which is on Saturday night. 
Deadly. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. I have to say, and for everybody else out there, I think watching as well, it's the same situation, Mark, that uh, where we are. We are buzzing because there's, there's, there's no sport on. And thankfully, our sport is still going of all the sports. So we're not watching some German league somewhere trying to hook her up to our veins and get her <laughs> <laughs> away. So, uh, thankfully, the MMA is still going. Mark, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And uh, that, that's a conversation I've been wanting to pick your brain for for a long time because... It's definitely a view in the cage that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I've been fascinated with, you know, uh, to look at. Not something I would do, but something I would like looking at for sure. Um, and, and like picking your brain about the, the emotions and feelings that go on because uh, there's three men in there and there's I, I've always kind of kept my eye on the, on the on the one straight in front of me, you know. Um, as you've seen, I didn't even know that you were in there with me yourself sometimes. <laughs> so focused on the point, but... Uh, Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And uh, I wish you the best over the next few days. No, I appreciate it, mate. And hopefully when things calm down, we can um, get into a bit more detail. And we'll do it in person with a cup of tea and uh, yes, have yes. a chat. I'd be dead to have you over for a seminar or something one time here and pick your brain in that uh, aspect as well, uh, Mark. So whenever you're here, you drop in um, and we're here. Yeah, My gym is your gym. My, uh, What's it? Mokasa, mo, mo Mukasa. Mukasa, <laughs> Sukasa. I think I got that wrong a few weeks ago as well. <laughs> 100%, mate. Mark, thanks so much. You're a legend, mate. Thank Cheers. you, Paddy. Look after yourself. Take care. So, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of No Shame. Another one in the bag there. Um, still mounting on. Still going the way we need to be going. Um, still trying to climb up and find as much information as we can on the on the, 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 the crazy situation that we find upon us. Um, some of the cold water tips that I gave last week, people have got back to me with, with some great feedback from that and uh, I, there is magic in it. I told you, I'm not lying. Get into that water. Let it, let it consume you. Let it, let it in. Let that cold in and, and it will heal you. It will fix you. Um, I just want to close up on a line this week um, that I think a lot of people can benefit from. I, I, a lot of messages about my book this week, um, the, 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 the positive parts of it, which are, which are a massive, a massive it's a, a huge honor of mine to be able to put some of that stuff on paper and, and now for it to be able to help people. Uh, and that was the that was the the idea of that book in the in the main thing. So I will leave you with a quote that I feel that I have used many times to kind of get me over the um the situation or, or cool the jets if you must. Don't be mad at a lion for eating you just because you didn't eat him. Look after yourself. <laughs>